Welcome to a special episode of Front Porch Theology, featuring some of the authors from the new book, Church Out Here, Insights from Small Town Churches. We're thrilled to host this short series of podcast episodes to highlight the work of rural church voices. Well, howdy, listeners. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast today. My name is Will, and I'm with Rural Church Voices, and we're doing a series of podcasts uh, talking about some of the topics that are discussed in the forthcoming book, Church Out Here, Insights from Small Town Churches. We're sitting down with each of the contributing authors to talk about their own experiences, why they authored and wrote in the book, and uh, what they wrote about. And so today I'm here with Pastor Jim Drake, um, who's a pastor at Parkview Baptist Church, and Jason Cook, who's a member at New Heights Church, where I pastor. And we're going to talk about uh, declining churches and what church leadership uh, needs to know and do about the problem of declining churches. So, howdy, guys! Welcome to the podcast. That's Thanks always good to get us, introduced Will. as you know, pastor of a church. And yeah, we're going to talk to them about declining yeah. churches. Pastor Jim, our <laughs> expert on churches that are declining. <laughs> so, um, well, let's start with that, Jim. Uh, so, tell us. We're we're actually recording this at Parkview, um, sitting in this beautiful sanctuary. Um, so, tell us about Parkview. How you ended up here? Uh, well, I worked for our state convention uh, for a couple of years. Uh, worked with church planters throughout our uh, throughout the uh, West Virginia state convention, and as part of that, I, I came in contact with all different churches. Uh, this church, I had a relationship with uh, one of the members. One of the actually, um, after she left the church, we were serving on a board together, so I was very familiar with the the. Uh, uh, the circumstances that were going on in the church. And at the time, they were going through their second split in eight years. Mm-hmm. Had no idea that the Lord would call me here. They didn't know who I was from Adam. They didn't know anything about me. But I just reached out to them. I knew that they were in um, a different um, a different association, different state convention than we were. So they didn't have the kind of relationships that would come alongside and help them. So I just uh, I reached out to them, started meeting with them would preach here occasionally to the handful of people that were left. And then through uh, a series of, of uh, you know, God's good guidance, uh, the Lord, uh, I, th- I always say that they were desperate enough to call me. But, yeah. uh, no, it, they uh, really hit rock bottom. <laughs> right, right. They were at the <laughs> bottom of the barrel. Left to do. <laughs> <laughs> they thought, well, we'll, we'll hire him and maybe we'll get a dead cat bounce or something like that. But, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the church called me, and that was uh, about eight and a half years ago. And um, it's, it's just been a very sweet time. It's great. Uh, ever since. I, I've loved seeing um, and talking to you. Uh, Jim, you're one of the guys that texts me every Sunday morning and um, always checking in on New Heights, you know, and seeing how we're doing. But, um, but I love just seeing, you know, hearing from you and seeing online and things, how, how Parkview's doing. You shared um, – a picture, I think this past Sunday, of everybody at your house. You do that every Sunday? No, we we used to do it about every two weeks. Now, okay. with uh, with inflation and stuff, we're down to about a month. <laughs> Food's inflation expensive. and church growth. Uh, yeah. we, so everybody's think, that, everybody's like crammed into your house. Right. You were wearing a hoodie that said something inspirational. I can't remember what it said, but it was just like a beautiful picture of like it was a um, hoodie that was worthy of getting spaghetti sauce. Yeah, on. there you go. And um, and I, what I noticed was, and I want to, I don't want to be critical of your age. You're very <laughs> 
wise man and you're a little bit older than me um, hold on let me go let yeah. me go find where i put my teeth but it seemed like everyone in your house was significantly younger than you and i love that and well some of the things that didn't show up in the pictures we actually had um i think everything from a newborn baby well a month old baby mm-hmm. to a lady that's probably in her 70s wow. there so yeah uh, that's one of the things that has been just a joy is seeing how God has grown a truly intergenerational church. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's it's super cool to see see that happening. And, um, and so you wrote uh, a chapter in the book, which we're going to get into in a moment, about uh, church revitalization. So we're going to talk with some of the issues and uh, kind of leading thought and, and what that should look like. Um, Jason... Um, Longtime friend of mine, uh, we got roots in Lincoln County, West Virginia. Absolutely. Um, and and you ended up uh, as a member of, of the church I pastor somehow. Um, I don't know if you regret that choice um, or not at all. For the I'm record, I'm sure there are days that you do. Um, Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, but tell us a little bit of your backstory. How you ended up um, where you are now, writing now. Um, you were pastor for 14, 15 years, yes. right? Um, so tell us a little bit about about that uh, backstory. Sure. So before I happily came to New Heights, <laughs> uh, I spent I grew up uh, in the United Baptist uh, faith and denomination. Uh, that may not be a, a term that everybody listening is familiar with, but part of the kind of separate and fundamental Baptist families of churches that you'll find scattered all throughout Appalachia. Uh, that's my home and, and where I was raised and where uh, Jesus saved me. So I grew up there and was ordained uh, as an elder through our denomination for 15 years. Uh, so in the ministry and in most of the churches that I've spent my life in, uh, I was a, around uh, churches that were either declining or in the process of, of revitalization. Uh, I've taken part in uh, several church revitalizations. Uh, the reason, and uh, the reason that I chose to write about the topic that I did for the book, that we'll get into in just a second, is I was very honored and blessed to be able to take part in what I call a hospice care process for a church that uh, closed in 2014. So it's hard to believe it's almost been a decade now, Uh, but I was able to be, uh, in a lot of ways, a a hospice uh, pastor to them and help them as they came near the end of the life of the church. And uh, that was such a powerful experience for me, not only the logistical parts of it, but getting to know the people that were there. They They were older saints and just uh, caring for them uh, and trying to care for them well uh, was really something that piqued my interest uh, because it was not really a concept I was familiar with. You know, church revitalization, I think, is so important, and every church that, that can and should be revitalized, like we want to see that, and, and you just love when you see successful revitalizations. Mm-hmm. But for as many churches that do revitalize, there are many churches that close. Sometimes they're able to be replanted or some other terminology that you might use, but oftentimes they're not, and uh, they're not able to what I call finish well. So it was really a a, a pastoral care concern, and uh, so that was uh, was just as much a part of my ministry experience. I think, like a lot of people in rural and Appalachian places, I'm more accustomed to spending my time in churches like that versus churches that may be in other areas. Mm -hmm. It's honestly where I'm most comfortable, and uh, those are the people that I love, so that's kind of the heart that brought me into this project, and uh, it's a beautiful part of my past. 
Yeah, and both of you guys have been uh, in the church worlds um, in in very old churches and very young churches, yes, right? right. Um, dying churches, thriving and growing churches. Um, both of you have been in the church planting world. Both of you have been in revitalization world. And so um, it's great to have you guys uh, taking part in this book project. And so your chapters are back-to-back in the book. Um, uh, Jim, your, your chapter is chapter 3, uh, titled All Things Become New. And then Jason, yours is chapter 4. We're finishing well, and um, and so as we look at the at the state of the rural church, um, maybe maybe either of you um, spend some time talking about uh, why is this a pressing issue specifically for the rural church? Um, what are we seeing um, at this time um, as society crawls onward and and we have trends of you know there there have been times where there's been a mass exodus out of rural areas. I think so, in some sense COVID has brought some people kind of showing up in rural places. Um, why do we see so many declining churches in rural areas and, and maybe maybe give us a lay of the land? Well, I think, you know, even with uh, some of the recent headlines that have been made with the out-migration uh, out of cities, I think even the out-migration that I've seen um, is to uh, not necessarily the most rural places or even the smallest towns. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that migrate close to home or migrate away from the cities are still tending to go to the places that have a Starbucks or more amenities than that. So in the most rural places and what I'm most familiar with, Central Appalachia, Mm -hmm. uh, there's still uh, uh, quite a decline in the towns, in the areas, uh, people even migrating from the smallest places to uh, more of a county seat type Yeah, you town. see like yeah, New York Times absolutely. article, everyone's going to the country, and then right. the country is like a city of 70,000 people. You know? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, I, I get a kick out of some of the, some of the quote, rural things, and I'm thinking uh, our largest city in West Virginia is about 50,000. <laughs> yeah, <so>. absolutely. <laughs> right. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, one of the things that gets said about uh, West Virginia in particular is that our largest export is our youth, is young people. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, there's so much of a, uh, an out-migration of, of young people, and um, that has affected the, the population in our areas, which has affected the churches. Plus, you add on to that the fact that many of the smaller churches – have held on so long to traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think many of them, for for good reasons in their heart, mm-hmm. that they thought that that was what they needed to do to hold on to the truth of the gospel. But all they could see was the out outward yeah. makeup or the outward forms. So they began to hold on to the outward forms, and it just uh, it's a slow decline. One of the things that I talk to churches about that are in that kind of decline is um, name the the heyday. When was the heyday of the church? And was there something, some traumatic event in the past that precipitated the decline that you're in now? And so many of them, I've, I've really been surprised. So many of them, they can name a heyday in the past, but they can't really name... Uh, a split or a moral failure or anything it's just a slow steady decline over a couple of generations yeah Um, 
And it's interesting. I think, you know, Jim is 100% correct in everything he said. You know, you're certainly seeing population trends and you're seeing, uh, you know, just as far as make makeups of communities and counties begin to change. You know, uh, really, one thing that I, I've noticed and what really kind of drove me to write about uh, the aspect of finishing well is I think that you're seeing full-blown movements and efforts towards church planning and i know all of us would say praise god for that Mm -hmm. more of it you're seeing uh movements led by people like jim for church revitalization and when you see success in that you just say praise god for it i also think that alongside both of these movements is going to be the reality that there are going to be a lot of churches close their doors over the next 10 to 15 years. The reasons Jim hit on a couple of them as far as like the the culture and maybe the tradition uh, of the church, and I think there may be other reasons as well uh, that a lot of churches are not going to be able to continue. So, accepting the reality of that kind of and then through my own experience in the churches that I've been a part of made me realize that if a church is going to close its doors it can be done in a way that honors God and it can be done well or there can be denial and there can be a lot go wrong and the legacy of the gospel and of the work of that church can really be harmed if the church closes or if it doesn't finish well, if it finishes poorly. And uh, I think how a church ends its its life cycle or the season that it's in can really go a long way into determining what will be next for that church and, and that group of people. So that was the, when I look at the broader, a, a lot of my a lot of my real heart for this was pastoral care for people right. in declining churches. But when you step back a little more broadly, you see some of those other things as well. Yeah, and I think I think dignity is forgotten a lot of times. Uh, Absolutely. Sometimes, in, in, in a in a right motivation, um, the mission overshadows dignity, and and we'll kind of bulldoze over uh, the saints of God's kingdom uh, for the sake of the mission, right? And that, that shouldn't be the case. Um, and, and so, Jim, tell us a little bit about. Um, I think I think you know, I pastor a church that's over ten years old now. You came up and preached at my church at the ten year, uh, the the ten year anniversary. And um, so after I did, did you need revitalization? Yeah, we've we've been downhill ever since. We've been declining <laughs> since then. And um, that's why we're here today. Right, yeah, right, we have a, right. so this is an intervention. <laughs> no, um, but I think like one of the, one of the things you warned us about um, was was Ephesus's legacy mm-hmm. and and how Ephesus you know walked away from the love they had at first and um and and that caused not not so much pastoral panic in my soul but it but it actually made me begin to think man like we're 10 years in and i already see like these traditions we've held on to that we elevate them to the level of the gospel that they shouldn't be and um so like as a 10 year old church i'm seeing need for revitalization so talk to us about how um if you're you know if our listeners are pastors or just leaders in the church how can they diagnose or know um, if their church needs revitalized, then maybe what level they should look at that. That's that's been I've found that that's been really the hardest thing about trying to uh, help churches, trying to help associations, state conventions with uh, with revitalization efforts. Is you can have the best materials, you can have the best plans, you can have all of those things, but the hardest thing is getting churches to realize, to admit the problem. 
It's almost like you hear with, with addicts or, or people who are having moral issues. The hardest thing is, is admitting that there's, that there's an issue. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is realize that all of us, no matter if your church is a thriving church or if it's about to, about to close the doors in need of hospice, mm-hmm. there is revitalization that always needs to happen. We can't ever... No matter what condition our churches are, we can't ever just stay stagnant. Um, The church at Ephesus was a prime example of that because over time, every time that they fixed something throughout the New Testament, they they got those things really well. They got their leadership fixed. They got their doctrinal issues fixed. Um, But they, in fixing all of those things, they forgot the most important thing, their first love, which if you look in... Um, Acts 16, Acts 16, 17, you see that their first love was evangelism, planting churches, so that that whole region had heard the gospel through Mm -hmm. that church. So uh, really it's every pastor, no matter whether you pastor a a multi-staff megachurch or pastor a small, small country church, just realizing that we always need to be um, employing aspects of revitalization and in the chapter talk about different diagnostic levels whether you're a a healthy church and some different um, warning signs different little things to uh, to pay attention to whether it's in the finances or whether it's in the leadership um, uh, whether it's in the culture of the church but different things that you can as a pastor as leadership in the church that you can zero in on and just get a feel Mm-hmm. For okay, are these the areas that we need to shore up? Yeah, yeah, and I think it, it's super valuable. Um, even just in the editing process, reading through your chapter, it was helpful for me because you know you can't just put on editor hat and not think about like okay, here's my pastor role. Um, looking at looking at my own church and evaluating, you know, you kind of give us a checklist in your chapter of of things to look for, and, and so it's super helpful. It's it's um, it's definitely worth getting the book just for that, just so we can look at our churches and evaluate church health, right? At um, least at least it makes you think. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think our natural tendency is to not think about those things. Right. Just assume everything's okay. Well, yeah, especially if you're having a good season and the budget's up, and yeah. and you you know you come off of Easter Sunday and you've had your best <laughs> right. Sunday and and ever and yeah. and you're rejoicing and it's not to be a downer about those things, but it's just to oh okay maybe maybe our culture needs some tweaking maybe we need to look outside the walls more than looking inside the walls Mm -hmm. or leadership development how are we doing with developing young men for the ministry just those different so it's interesting um there are many of the things that you'll find in jim's chapter and other things that he would uh, teach us about revitalization that i would there are some of the same metrics and things that we would look at if considering whether a church need needs hospice care uh but i you get into a matter of degree or severity uh it's interesting and this is uh, a pre podcast conversation we were having uh and many of you mentioned the financial part and you made a comment about endowments i thought was just prescient because you know financial capability is not necessarily always an indicator that the church is healthy and perhaps often very rarely is so the church that i was able to work with and help them to uh, to close their doors and to be a part of other things and and that's mentioned kind of the end of that story is mentioned in the essay uh, 
uh, you know, uh, in their last year of life, there were less than four people attending there. Only one person that you would say was in leadership. They had year after year of uh, very, uh, very problematic, very troubled pastorates. And there was demographics both within the church and the town had changed. But ironically enough, the church had never been more financially wealthy because of endowments and gifts. And that had been the case from time before. Uh, But what had happened was they had viewed that and they had thought, well, we can buy youth or buy programming. But the the fundamental signs that were there. And then, you know, the question, I think you raised the question earlier, how can you know, how can you see these things? Mm -hmm. I think it has to be done with dignity and it has to be done with humility. And very rarely will it be done well if it's somebody from the outside looking in and saying, I see all these things, they're very obvious to me, you need to do this. I think it has to be discerned within the, the members of the congregation. And I'm not a naive person. If anything, when you read this chapter, you'll probably see the realist side of me just as far as, you know, dealing with reality, how it is. I know how difficult that can be, um, especially because oftentimes, uh, you know, you want to provide pastoral care for the saints of God that are still at the church. But we would uh, be in denial if we didn't recognize that sometimes the behaviors of those saints and the decisions that they made over the years or maybe the way that they treated people are responsible for the decline. Right. Um, it's yeah. like with physical health. When, yeah. when, we have a, <clears throat> when we have a member or a family member that has abused their body their whole lives, yeah. when they're laying in the hospital, we, we don't turn our back on them and say, you shouldn't have been smoking for those Absolutely. you know, 14 packs a day for however long. We, we love on them. That's, that's, that's what I appreciate said, about brother. the heart of, of your chapter. Yeah, and that, the, this the heart behind it is really important for me because, again, you know, we, we led with, you know, uh, we want to see church revitalization. It's not the subject of this. We want to see church planning. That's, well, that's what you and New Heights is, is all, all about. And, you know, Jim, you've even had work there in the past as a catalyst. And, you know, you want to see these things, but you also have to have a heart for uh, dying people. And, and that's very important to remember that they, you know, we, we say so often, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, church buildings, they are important. They do matter, but the people are the church. Like that's kind of cliche that we say that, but it's good to remember. And they need, they need pastoral care, even if they contributed a lot to where the church is. Right. It has to be done with humility. Though. I, I don't want to give away everything in your chapter, um, but, but I did, I did like, um, you you bringing value to the building um churches that are declining yes. and at the point of death um they often have a, a nice facility a nice building and um i think we tend to just use that as like all right what can how can we leverage this for the next thing and and we forget about the attachment that might be there right mm-hmm. um even even compared to like if if we would lose our home in a fire you know like that's where our kids took their first steps or whatever um, and so you talk a little bit about that and maybe that dynamic of, of the long-term attachment that the yeah, congregants sure. get. Um, you know, so this is where I get to tap in a little bit to my sentimental side. Uh, I'll, I'm only allowed to do it so much, so I appreciate that. But <laughs> I think sentimental so. a lot. We I, do, I do. I do. <laughs> so, you know, for those that know me personally, 
you know, I, I, Heather is my wife, Benjamin is my son, the three of us are a family. Uh, you know, we, we've uh, fostered, so, you know, we consider Queen a part of our family too, but she's back with her mother and reunified, and we praise God for that. But So I know that that's my family, mm-hmm. but our home, it's important to yep. us. It matters. That's where we... Uh, you know, we're a family together. That's where we practice hospitality. You know, I was thinking with Will telling, I saw it too, Mm -hmm. of you having those people to your home like that, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful memory for that place. And when you think of all of the good kingdom work that's happened at a church building over many years, it's hard to remember and see that at the end of a church's life. Mm-hmm. But if you're, and, and this is where I try to put myself, I, I know for me when I was younger, I really lacked empathy. It's only been through, and I'm just speaking, it's only been through getting older and experiencing things, primarily suffering, that's given me a greater sense of empathy. I try to put myself in the position of that 80-year-old brother or that 80-year-old sister sitting in the pew. So somebody like me, maybe as a young leader, sees problems and then maybe a potential opportunity for the things and the possessions. But when I try to put myself in that person's experience, this church is the place where they've practiced and lived out their faith. Mm -hmm. They may have met their spouse there that's gone on to be with the Lord. Their children might have been baptized there. They saw weddings. They buried their friends there. They buried their parents at the church. I said it more articulately in the article because I'm getting in the moment right now. (laughs) But it's like all this beautiful life happened in that church building, and we don't see that. We don't have that experience. All we see is what is now, and I think that's part of living that's part of our life in the community and the fellowship and the body of the church. And just because it's in the past, I want to honor that now with that person as well. And to me, that's just a, that's a heart pastoral care concern. Um, you know, it's uh, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, Jim, you mentioned the inner intergenerational and multi-generational church dynamic that's important to you that's one of the reasons why it's so important to me too because you have that difference of perspective Mm -hmm. but yeah i would argue you know i know that the church is the people and i can't do the thing with the hands and the steeple but (laughs) we know the church is the people but i I think we should we should also (laughs) honor yeah the lord knows my heart and so do you brother we should also honor i think sacred spaces and what god is able to do through the places that our church families call home well whether we want to admit it or not uh, these buildings uh, mean something to the communities that they're in especially in our smaller towns in our rural areas and when the community around sees a building that is that used to be a church Mm -hmm. they might still call it the church but it still carries that legacy and that memory into the community right yeah, and I think um, I think that's why sometimes the ministry of just like coming along and bringing new life is so important. Um, just to kind of lightning round, Jim. Like if 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 someone's listening and they're a leader, that, that means you don't want me to talk very long. Yeah, don't. I don't want to. I don't want a whole sermon here. <laughs> He's very tactful. But, um, but someone's listening and they're looking at their church and they're they're seeing maybe without even reading this book yet. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna need some help. Like, 
they they might you they might not know us personally. How do how do they go about finding some some help in doing this? Well, the first thing they need to do is read the book. Amen. That's the <laughs> first thing they need to do. Is, uh, is, did did is I say the, did up. I say the right thing? Yeah, that was the right answer. Oh, there's <laughs> a that one of the things that is just is so helpful right now is there are so many resources mm-hmm. out there for. Uh, for folks to read up on and and study revitalization, uh, the the work that the North American Mission Board is doing right now with their revitalization replant mm-hmm. is uh, phenomenal. Uh, there's a guy named Mark Clifton that has put out a ton of stuff. He puts out weekly videos that mm-hmm. you know those those are the different things. But I think there's uh, there is something to be said about being in fellowship with other local churches mm-hmm. uh, finding healthy local churches that you can uh, that you can talk to that you can bounce ideas off of getting involved whatever you can do if you've got four people or if you've got 400 people whatever you can do to lift your eyes off of your situation look outside of your walls and see the fields that are white to harvest because mm-hmm. i don't care where we are i don't care how rural there are lost people all around us yep. that desperately need Jesus, and he and and look as long as Jesus um, keeps his lampstand yeah. <laughs> yeah. in his local churches, then we've got the solution to to their problems. So yeah, so it just Siri was trying it, to give you some advice. Yeah, there, yeah. So. <laughs> Siri, Siri's helping me out on church revitalization, um, but it can be so easy in so much for the lightning round stuff, right? It can be so easy to look at all the things that we don't have mm-hmm. and forget about what God's already given us. Yeah. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. And it's not like the Lord is sitting on the precipice of heaven saying, oh, no, what am I going to do with this church? Right. right? Like he's that. given us everything that we need that's good. to um, do the work that he's called us to do. Yeah. And that's the thing is we're we're seeking to line up with what Jesus's will is exactly. for his church, not exactly. not our own individual visions right. for, you know, what what we think right. church ought to be. So, I'll keep uh, I'll keep working to plant new churches, you keep working to strengthen new churches and Jason, you keep Handing churches over to the death angel. Um, hey, they're, in a, in they're a dignifying. Well, way. listen, I, I get to have a front row seat to the church, all the church planning stuff. Now I'm just along for the ride, yeah. and yeah. I'll help people along the way as I can. Amen. There, there's a story in in my chapter that I wish uh, that we would have had somebody that had the heart to um, be a good hospice chaplain mm-hmm. for that particular church because. The way that it died in the community has left a terrible scar. Yeah. The hurt, building is still there. Hurt everybody involved, too. It hurt sure. everybody involved, hurt the witness of Christ in the community. And had they had somebody to shepherd them through that process, um, it would have been so much better. And I'll add this final thought. Everything that Jim advised for a revitalizing church as far as being in community with other churches, being mm-hmm. in fellowship with other leaders. If a church is facing the question of, you know, do I need to, are we going to close? What would that look like? I would advise the same things with uh, an additional caveat is, you know, we, we are Christians. Mm-hmm. We know that death is not the end. We, you know, we accept the, the reality of death, that memento more that I talked about in the essay. We accept the reality of it, but we know that death is not the end. We are resurrection people Uh, i like something you said about revitalization too earlier jim you're talking about the story of your church's revitalization and you were saying to other churches that were facing a similar challenge it's not impossible 
you can be re revitalized. Mm -hmm. It can be done. I would say the same to churches, even though they're facing the end and they're looking at closure, that death is not the end, Amen. that new life is possible. And, uh, you know, uh, God wants to see that, and he cares for his people, and he cares for his churches. And, uh, yeah, just living that is what I would say. Yeah. Amen. Well, it's clear you guys love the church, um, and I think all the authors that participated in this project and wrote for this book, um, I think what comes bleeding through the pages is we love the local church yes. desperately, um, deeply. We, we want to see rural churches thrive and succeed and reach the lost, and so um, so thankful for you guys and, and your ministries. Um, thank you so much for writing and being part of the project. The book is Church Out Here. Insights from Small Town Churches. It's available May 1st, 2023. Uh, you can find it on ruralchurchvoices.com as well as on Amazon. We hope you pick it up. We hope it blesses you. Uh, feel free to reach out with us with any comments, questions, and uh, thank you so much for listening.